0: We are, uh we're walking through Genesis. If you haven't been a part of it, man, we encourage you to catch up and be a part of that. But, um, you know, we've walked through this story enough to know two things. One, God's got a story playing out up here, right? All the way back at the beginning, Satan shows up, thwarts the plans. God decides he's done with that, says to Satan, I'm going to destroy you. And I'm going to pick a guy from these people to do it. Right. And that promise is being played out on every page of scripture because if that promise doesn't come true, God's just a big fat liar. Right. And so God's at work in that. Meanwhile, down on the ground where the rest of us live, it's not been so pretty, has it? Whether it's Abraham lying about being married or whether it's Abraham sleeping with Hagar right whether it's Isaac being a terrible father or Jacob stealing a birthright right whether it's Jacob having sex with a bunch of different women have a bunch of different kids because the women were jealous right whatever it is right it's just been really messy on the ground and the great thing about genesis is it just keeps getting worse right so we're going to cover genesis 38 and 39 last week genesis Joe started in Genesis 39, but I want to go back and catch 38, and I want to catch 39. I'm not reading all the verses. You can do that for yourselves. But I do want to tell you a synopsis of the two stories. Jacob had had 12 children. The first four, Reuben. Reuben had sex with one of Jacob's wives. That's a no-no. Would you agree? That's not a good thing. Meanwhile, Brother 2, Simeon, and Brother 3, Levi, decided that they were going to defend their sister who had been raped. And so they plotted to destroy the gentleman and his whole village that had done that. And so those two murdered a bunch of people who contributed to the rape of their sister. Good start for parenting, right? We're on Brother 4, Judah. Judah is the brother that God uses to keep Jesus alive. We know that in Genesis chapter 48 and 49 when Jacob gives the blessing. That the scepter will not pass from Judah. He becomes heir apparent to this situation. But check out, check out his story in Genesis 38. So he ultimately gets married. Has three boys. The oldest marries a girl named Tamar. Right, He's a bad dude, apparently, because the Bible says he did wicked in God's eyes and God killed him. Right? Not a good start. Then all of a sudden, Judah goes to his brother. Right? The brother who died went to his son, his second son, and said, hey, your brother's gone. You need to step up and you need to be the one to give Tamar an heir. And so... The second brother steps up and decides he doesn't want to do it. You can read the story in Genesis 38. It's worth a read, right? But Onan decides he's got a better idea. He doesn't fulfill his obligation to give Tamar a son. Instead, he does something else. And God decides it's wicked enough and he kills him. So Judah's first two sons are killed by God. Boom, right? Third son, too young to have Tamar. So Judah says to Tamar, listen, come live with us. Wait till my son gets of age. And when my third son gets of age, he'll step up and do the right thing and help you have a baby. Right? Meanwhile, life goes on and Judah's wife dies. And Judah, being a good husband, grieves for his wife. And Genesis 38 tells us that when the time of grieving had ended, Judah got with his buddy and they went down to the village. Meanwhile, Tamar saw that three son, number three son, He would reached age where he could give her a baby. And Judah wasn't letting him near her. So she decided she'd take matters into her own hands. So what'd she do? She dressed like a prostitute. She went down to the street corner and she waited for old Judah to go by. So because her face was covered, Judah, whose wife had died, apparently decided it was okay for him to have sex with a prostitute. And so he propositioned the prostitute. He didn't know it was his daughter-in-law. So she says to him, what are you going to give me? He said, I got nothing, but you can have my driver's license and my keys to my car. And then I'll send something back and you can return it. She says, deal. So he does what you do when you hire a prostitute. He has sex with her. He goes home, sends one of his servants back and says, hey, go get my license and my keys and pay, pay her this wage. Message comes back. There's no prostitutes down here. All right, Judah moves on. Three months later, guess what? Tamar's pregnant. And the villagers come to Judah's house and goes, your daughter-in-law's been bad. She'd been sleeping around and she's gotten herself pregnant. And Judah says, bring her out so we can kill her. She broke the law. But Tamar says, I know who the daddy is. I've got his driver's license and his keys. And guess what everybody found out? That Judah had sex with his daughter-in-law because she tricked him into it because she was tired of waiting on Judah to give her his third son. You think your family's messed up. (laughs) And that's the boy that God chose to put in Matthew's genealogy, Perez. One of the two children born to that woman through a relationship with her father-in-law. It's crazy. But in Genesis 39, we read about Joseph. And Joe made sure to cover this with all of us last week, right? Joseph was well built and handsome. Joe's favorite verse in all of scripture, right? Joseph was well built and handsome, but he was also second in command of Potiphar's house. Everything that went through Potiphar's house went through Joseph, except for Joseph or Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife wanted to change it. So she flirted and propositioned Joseph to have sex with him. Over and over and over and over and over again, this woman pleaded with Joseph to have sex with her. And he wouldn't do it. Finally, she cleared the whole house out, got all the servants out, and she came to him and she said, Listen, now's the time. Everybody's gone. We can do this. Nobody's going to care. Joseph cared. And he said, No. And the Bible says he left in such haste that he left his outer garments and ran away in his skivvies away from her. And what did she do? She decided, you know what, he didn't want to have sex with me, so I'll get him back. She held onto to the clothes and told the blubbering story, lied to her husband and said, he came on to me when I said no, I he he fled when I screamed and I kept his clothes. And guess what Potiphar did? He believed his wife and he threw Joseph in jail. Those are the two chapters back to back because it doesn't get any better on the ground, does it? You see, here's the thing about God's story. It is incredibly messy. It's incredibly messy. I don't know about you, but when my family gets together for holidays, there are certain topics we don't talk about. Yes or no? Listen, if you've got any sense and your family's more than two people, there's certain things you don't talk about, right? Generally, we don't talk about politics, religion, sports, right? In our day and age, you don't talk about uh, COVID. You don't talk about the vaccine, right? You don't talk about politics and you certainly don't talk about vegan diets, right? We don't talk about that stuff because if you bring those topics up, tensions mount things get awkward and it can be uncomfortable i don't know how long you've been going to church but we've 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 assumed the same approach in church there are just certain things we don't talk about in church because people sitting out here and now people watching online can be very uncomfortable so we don't talk about them in church because we think things that are personal also ought to be private that's really personal, Cord. You shouldn't be talking about that in public because that's, that's private. You see, the problem with keeping personal things private is if it's a bad thing that you're struggling with, you've also got to be the person that comes up with the solution to fix it. And my experience has been if you're dumb enough to get yourself into the problem, you're not smart enough to fix it. Yes? But because it's personal, we got to keep it private. I think one of the greatest disservices, I've been going to church for 42 years. I think one of the greatest disservices the church has done is we've quit talking about personal things because we think personal is private and we don't want it to be uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Joe's down at the racetrack and he's never going to know. So we're going to talk about sex. Okay. And listen, it is not my intention to make you uncomfortable, but it is my intention to talk about what scripture says about it. Because you got two brothers with the exact same choice, but you have two different responses. And I don't know about you, but I think our world, right, our world is in a free fall when it comes to this kind of stuff. Let me just quote some statistics, okay? Every second, everybody say every second, every second in America, 28,258 people are online watching porn. Every second. Every second, $3,075 are spent by people online for porn. Every second. That means every second, Americans spend $3,000 on porn, multiply those seconds by 60 for every minute, and then multiply every minute by 60 for an hour, multiply that number by 24 in a day, and then multiply that by 365, and you get an idea how big the porn industry is. It's crazy, right? 40 million people in the last survey, 40 million Americans are currently engaged sexually with the Internet. And of those 40 million, 13 million of them are women. Right? Because it's a problem. Did you know that every 68 seconds in America, somebody is sexually assaulted or molested or raped? And every nine minutes, one of those victims is a child. And the numbers just get worse and they get worse and they get worse and they get worse. 35% of every bit of material downloaded on the internet is porn. 35%. That means over a third of what you and I download is pornography from the internet. It's insane. And that doesn't even begin to talk about what it's done to our teenage population. And what it's done to our preteen population right but we don't want to talk about sex in church because man it might make somebody uncomfortable they'll storm out mad and they'll take their checkbook with them and we'll never get their six bucks again (laughs) right and the reality is we let them walk out those doors and watch whatever smut they want to on tv read whatever smut they want to in magazines watch whatever smut they want to on their smartphones and their tablets but god forbid we won't talk about it at church it's dumb it's dumb And there's a way to be honorable to God to talk about something that God gave the very first couple that he created, which was the intimacy of physical knowledge between a husband and a wife. Amen, church? And we should talk about it because it's a major problem. Not only in our world, it is becoming a major problem in the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read a few verses from Thessalonians. You're probably going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to try to be funny. to try to help you. Right? I told the 430, you could go ahead and stand with me because I'm going to read, right? I told the 430 crowd, they were the guinea pig crowd. And if they told me I needed to write a sermon between 430 and 630, I would. They said I could preach it to you, okay? Here's what Paul says. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will. This is God's will. You wonder what God's will for you sometimes is? It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That means set apart. That you should avoid what? Sexual immorality. That's his will for you. You don't have to guess. wonder what God wants me to do. He wants you to avoid being sexually immoral. Right? He goes on to say each of us should learn to control their own body in a way that's holy and honorable to him. Don't, don't live your life in your body in passionate lust like heathen or pagans who don't know God do. He said, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction. There are too many Christians rejecting this instruction. Listen, if you're a visitor today or if you're a visitor online, this message is not for you, right? I want believers to understand what God's intent for sex and self-control is. He says, therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but who? God, who gives us his Holy Spirit, right? You can be seated. So let's spend about 30 minutes talking about sex at church, all right? I even went out and bought a new shirt so you'd feel less uncomfortable, all right? So let's talk about it first. Two points. I'm only going to cover a couple things. One, let's talk about parameters of passion, right? Let's remind ourselves of a couple things. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5, it just says, right? It's God's will that you and I should be sanctified. We should avoid sexual immorality. Each of us should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, right? And here's what's driving it. Don't let the passionate lust control us like heathen or those who do not got, don't know God do, right? There's a way for us to harness the sexual passion that God gives us. There's a way to harness it that is holy and honorable and sanctified. Somebody say amen. There's a way also to live, right, sexually in our passion that is pagan-like, heathen-like. And that's where you don't control the lust. The lust control you. James says it this way. He says in chapter 1. Every person in this room and online and on this stage is tempted when by their own evil lust, they're dragged away and enticed. Listen, ain't nobody tempting you other than your own lust that wage war inside of you. It's your lust that says, let's go get this out. Right? It's your lust that makes the sales pitch. It's the lust that sells you on the TikTok video or the website, right? It's your lust that says, we need to go invest some time and effort into seeing what this is about. It's your lust that drags you away and then entices you, right? First Peter 2.11, Peter said it this way. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. This world is not our home. If you're a believer, somebody say Amen. So how do you conduct yourself on foreign soil? He says, here's how you should do it. You should abstain from sinful lust, which war against your. Listen, this ain't trying to destroy your marriage. This ain't trying to make you bankrupt. Sinful lust wants your soul. This is a spiritual fight. We think it's not. We think it's just something I got to battle, right? It's an addiction. No, no, no. These sinful lusts, they want your soul. They want to destroy it. We should take it a little more serious, right? Here's the last one. First uh, John two, here's the world you live in. Don't love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is in him because you can't have two masters, can't love two things, right? He says for everything, we've read this verse before, everybody say everything. Everything that this world offers, everything is the lust of sinful man, the lust of our eyes, and the lusting or boasting of what we have and what we do. That comes not from the Father, but from the world and the world and its things are passing away but only he who does the will of the father will endure or live forever listen we're in a mess here you are in a mess your teenager's in a mess your husband's in a mess your wife is in a mess your neighbor your friend your cousin your uncle your aunt everybody's in a mess because here's why the sinful desires that we have every person possesses them and they are the best salesman you're ever going to meet They wage war internally against your soul. And the world that we happen to inhabit as aliens and strangers is inhabited with three things. Lust of our flesh, lust of our eyes, and the things that we can hang on to that we can make a life about and be proud about. It's a tough world we live in as a believer in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. This isn't easy. But we're not doing yourself we're not doing the next generation any help, right? We're not doing them any favors by not talking about this. Listen, we, talk, we don't talk about things we don't, know what, we don't wanna know the answers to, right? The problem is if we don't find out the answers, people we love are gonna be destroyed and already have been. Some of you, some of you are sitting here knowing firsthand the pain of somebody's unchecked lust and what that looks like. Especially somebody who should have chosen better. Passion has to have parameters. And God gives us those parameters. Here's First Corinthians 7. Check this out. For the matters you wrote about. Apparently the Corinthians wrote Paul a letter. And one of the things they wanted to know about was sex. Imagine that. They grew up in Corinth. Corinth was full of temples. When you worshipped false gods. You went down there and paid and had sex with the prostitute. And you went oh I worship you God. All of a sudden they met Jesus and gospel said you can't do that anymore they had a couple questions about that so guess what Paul says matters you wrote about it's good it's good for a man not to marry I'm so proud of you men nobody said amen right it's good he says for a man not to marry but since there's so much what kind of immorality do you think Paul's talking about not talking about gluttony or laziness or greed he's talking about sexual immorality because there's so much sexual immorality he says each man should have his what own wife and each woman should have her what own husband there are parameters for the passion you see passions in here we all have it and we possess the knowledge of good and evil We know what we can do wrong with that passion and we know what we can do right with that passion, but it's internal and the world is just speaking to it and our passions are like, Oh, you gotta buy that. You gotta go there. You gotta have her. You gotta have him. It is selling and selling and selling and selling. But God says your passion belongs in one place. Each man should have his own wife and each wife should have her own husband. Why? He goes on to say this. The husband, the husband should fulfill his marital Duty? What kind of word do you think that is? Duty. It's a military word. You see, we operate inside of our marriages as if it's my body, my choice. Not if you're a Christian. A Christian says the husband should fulfill his duty to his wife, and the wife should fulfill her duty to her husband. Why? Because the Bible says, next verse, right? The Bible does the wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but also to her husband, right? In the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to his wife. They're shared custody. Check this out. Do not deprive each other. Don't deprive each other of what? Come on, say it. He's not talking about food. He's not talking about depriving each other of quality time, right? He says, don't deprive each other of sex, right? Except husband and wives. you want to dry up our counseling department? Pay attention. He says, don't deprive each other, except, don't deprive each other of sex, except by mutual, mutual. Everybody say mutual. That means two parties have to agree to it, right? Consent, and only for a time, so that you may devote yourselves, leave this verse right here, so that you may devote yourselves to, I love the fact that the screen dropped off there. So you can devote yourself to becoming the best version of yourself. So you can devote yourself to finding yourself. So you can devote yourself to your career. So you can devote yourself, right, to whatever you want. No, 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 no. Remember, your body's not yours. And her body's not hers. We have shared custody. And we're agreeing not to have sex mutually, only for a time. And guess what God says you should be doing while you're not having sex? Except to Pray. Woo! So glad to be preaching to a church that obeys God's word to the letter. Right? Then he says what? When you get done with that, you should come back together for what? So we can watch Braveheart spend quality time. No, no, no. He says you should come back together for sex so that what? Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He goes on to say, I say this not as a command, but as a I say this as a concession, not as a command, right? I wish that all men were as I am. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Apparently Paul had the gift of celibacy. Good for you, Paul, right? (laughs) 95% of the men in the world don't have. So guess what he says? If you're unmarried or a widow, all right, so you're single, right? Or your husband or wife has died. What does he say to you? About your passion that burns internally. He says, it's good for you to stay unmarried. And every single person online and in the room says, what? Right? He says, it's better to stay unmarried. But look what he says. But if you cannot, what? Control yourselves, how? Sexually. If you're single and having sex. Or you're a widow or widower and having sex. Outside of marriage, he says if you cannot control yourselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. You see, there's a parameter for our passion. There's a parameter for it. Let me illustrate it to you. Patrick, you back there? All right. Everybody say hello to Patrick. Give him a big hand. So Patrick's one of the two people in the back that make everybody in the back Shape up and get out here on time. All right, so I'm not an outdoorsman, so I had somebody who knew the outdoors buy me these things. Right? How many of you have ever been in the woods or have been in the woods and built a fire? Right? It's not my thing. Okay, I can cook a marshmallow over fire. Right? I can do all that, but I'm not going to build the fire. Right? But I'm told that if you take wood and you stack it together, right? And if you do a couple other things that I'm not smart enough to know how to do, minus watching a YouTube video, right? I am told that you can take these things, stack them and such, put them in a place called the fireplace, and you can set a nice little fire in your home, and everybody can gather around it and be warm. Anybody know that feeling? Anybody ever been around a fireplace and enjoyed the fire and the warmth? But this fire that you can also build in your home when it has no containment can also burn a Colorado forest to the ground in the middle of summer. Yes or no? You see, here's the thing about passion and fire. Fire without containment is just a natural disaster. But when you take fire and you contain it, it can make all the difference in the world. You see, the problem with passion isn't that it's a bad thing because it's not. When God created Adam and Eve, he said the first thing for them to do was to multiply. They weren't going to go to the store and buy kids. They were going to have to have sex. So he said, multiply, fill the earth and take dominion over it. Right? And then all of a sudden sin came in the world and now we knew the evil side of passion. And we've been fighting it ever since. And we had your kids come to church and we told them we're not talking about sex because your parents will be mad. So you go figure it out on your own at biology class. Nope. Dumb. Dumb. It not work that way. You see the Bible is clear that passion isn't a terrible thing. But passion within a parameter can make all the difference in the world. Fire contained can be a home. It can be comforting. It can be safe. But fire without containment can destroy everything in its path. Just look at the news and look at Lahaina. Fire is destructive beyond measure, is it not? But when it's contained, it can do things for you that make you feel safe and make you feel warm. And it can make you feel at home because of the containment and the place that it's in. You see, the problem with Passion Day in our world, not just in our world, I'm talking to people in our church. We have too many single people in our church right now having sex outside of the bonds of marriage. We have too many people in our church that are single living together and having sex and think it's fine. We have too many students in our student ministry having sex and thinking it's fine. You see, we've come out of the gate swinging. We talk about homosexuality and we talk about LGBTQ. What about all the heterosexual sin that goes on all the time within the church? Who do you think a large percentage of those 40 million people are that watch porn every day? They're Christians. They're Christian people because we've lost this idea that this instruction comes from God and we think it's just a man thing. Listen, passion by God's standard has a parameter. It has a containment. It's called marriage. I didn't say God's plan was good. Okay. Marriage is hard. Yes. Maintaining a healthy sex life while you're married and raising kids. Hard. Come on, four people? Yes. I know so. I've tried to do it. But because it's personal, we don't talk about it. Listen, the Bible's clear, husbands and wives. Sex should be a part of your marriage. And nobody in there has sole authority of the decision. It's mutual. Because why? Sensual desires and lust within you are warring against your soul, and Satan is waiting for a door of temptation. You think that there are Christian marriages that would improve overnight if they practice First Corinthians seven? Do you not think that there are single and widows and widowers in our churches that would absolutely begin to flourish spiritually if they surrendered, letting their passion control them and living within the parameters? We're having way too much sex outside of God's parameter, and we think it's okay. But because the world has decided to talk about homosexuality and talk about LGBTQ, we have focused entirely on that. Shame, shame, shame on us. It's a massive problem. And listen, if you're not a believer, I'm not speaking to you. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to people who've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and believe this book to be God's authority. And God's book is very clear. Husbands, don't deprive your wives. Right? Wives, don't deprive your husbands. And here's why. You've got a duty fulfilled to each other. And your body's not your own. It's hers. Your body's not your own. It's his. And if you're not going to have sex, agree on it and pray. And then when you're done, come back together so that Satan doesn't come in and destroy your home. But put that fire in a containment so it makes all the difference in the world and it doesn't destroy your life. Somebody say amen. Does that make sense to you, church? Right? Lastly, I don't, I don't need to read those scriptures about marriage and sex. They already heard them, right? You, listen, if you think the Bible doesn't talk about sex within marriage, then you have not read Proverbs or Song of Solomon. You should read it, okay? Tons of poetry in there, verses that I wouldn't read because there are teenagers and younger kids in here, right? Because some of you would be mad about that. But just go read it. God understands you and he understands me. He understands the place and the purpose of passion. There's only one place for sexual passion within the confines of God's word. It's in a marriage between a man and a woman. And that's it. That's it. That is not to be a hammer. To beat homosexuals over the head with. It is a teaching. To allow you and I. To benefit from the blessing of God. And heterosexuals need to abide by it. As much as those who struggle with same sex attraction. Somebody say amen. Right. Manage passion. Manage passion. Alright. How do we do this? Galatians 5, one says this. I say this verse a lot. Because it means a lot to me. Everybody read it with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, right? Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A slavery to what? To all this nonsense that guess what? Here's a rule. I fail and now I'm in trouble. Let's be clear, church, everybody online, everybody here. Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay your debt. To release you from the bondage of that debt. He paid it. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That payment stays intact forever. For you. For all of your sins. Somebody say amen. Amen. You need to learn to live in that freedom. Because guess what? You might be really stupid tomorrow. Somebody? Yes? Some of you were already stupid before you came to church tonight. And guess what? In Jesus you've been set what? You've been set free from that punishment. Why are you living in it? Don't give the devil any more ammunition and false truths. The truth is Jesus paid it once for all, for all your sins, and it will last forever. The Bible says he's making perfect those who put His our faith in him. Somebody say amen. But here's the thing about that freedom. You can do two things with it. You can use it as a license to do whatever you want to do, or you can use it to love other people. And that's the problem. The problem is we've allowed our freedom in Jesus. Some of us in here and online have allowed our freedom to let us get away with whatever, whatever we want because we think nothing bad's going to happen to us. God's already, God's already accepted Jesus to pay for my sins. So guess what? If I have sex outside of marriage, it's not going to ruin my life. I'm still going to go to heaven. And there's too much of that going on. Right? You could go ahead and read Galatians 5 for yourselves, but here's what I want you to know about why self-control is needed in the parameters of our marriages. Let's be honest. If we just practice sex within the parameters of marriage, we'd solve 90% of our problems and probably of the world's problems. But let's be honest. Has marriage solved all the sexual problems in America? Yes or no? Not in the least bit. So we need something else. What do we need? We need to manage our passion. Matthew 15 says this, right? The things that come out of the mouth come from the... And these make us unclean. So now we expect Jesus to tell us the words that come out of our mouth. No, no, no. Jesus says this. For out of our heart come evil thoughts, come murder, come adultery and what? Sexual immorality. You see, here's the problem with sexual immorality. It lives inside of you and me. It's not a house. It's not a visitor that shows up in your house on every Friday because it's time to go out in Daytona beach. No, no, no. That, that lives internally. Romans seven says it this way. It says, if, if I do what I do not want to do, anybody track with that? Anybody here do what you didn't want to do? Yes or no? Right? Well, the 430 was more honest than you guys are. So. <laughs> For I do If I do what I don't want to do, he says, that's not me doing it. This is a Christian. It's Paul. He said, it's not me doing it, but it's the sin that lives in me that does it. Anybody got any sin that lives in them that does dumb things? Anybody married to somebody who has sin living in them that does dumb things? Anybody raising anybody who's got sin living in them that does dumb things? Right? We all relate to that. And Paul says, here's the deal. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, how many of you want to do good? Say amen. amen. He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there. Hey, did you think about this? Well, what about this? You know that they said that. You know that if you just do this, it'll be better for you. Right? He goes on to say, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. How many of delight in God's law and in his word? Say Amen. Internally, that's what we feel as believers. But he says, not only do I delight in God's law, but I see this other law that's at work in the members of my body, right? And they're waging war against the law of my mind. And they make me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Anybody track them with that? Oh, I love Jesus. I love his word. But there's this other thing at work in me going, yeah, but we like sinning too. So let's have a fight about it. And how many of you wrestle with that war that wages within you all the time? A bunch of people. And the problem is without a managed passion, those evil desires are winning. We've had marriages destroy, we get marriages destroyed every year in here in our church community because somebody doesn't check their evil desires. Right? We have people. Who are raped, molested, assaulted because people don't want to live with their desires checked. And this is within the church. Right? This happens, this happens way too often. Teenagers' lives ruined because there's no check and management of their passion. We just let them go unchecked. Right? And the reality is, Paul says, goes on to say this, right? He goes on to say this bring bring that uh Romans 7 passage up. Did I finish it? Right? Waging war against the law of my mind. And it makes me a what? Anybody ever feel trapped in that battle. Between right and wrong. Good and evil. Yes or no? Yeah. He says I'm a prisoner of this law of sin. That works within my members. So what does Solomon say to his son. As it were. He says in Proverbs 4.23. He says these words. Everybody online. Everybody here read it with me. Above, guard your heart. Listen, if sexual immorality and adultery and evil desires come out of our heart, then it's our heart that needs to be guarded. Amen. It's within. And yes, the world is advertising itself as lust of the flesh. Whatever your flesh wants, whatever your eyes desire, you can have it. It's out of here. You can pay for it, you can go to this place, you can get on the dark web, you can do whatever you want to do. It's available for you no matter how unchecked your passions want to be. And God says, I got a parameter for your passion. Put your sexual passion within marriage. Treat each other the right way biblically within that marriage and that parameter. But understand this, you're going to need something else because the struggle isn't just in your marriage and it isn't just about sex. It's about this thing that lives in you called your heart and your heart is full of evil desire. So what do you get? You got to get self control. Because Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's presence and power in your life is self-control, Galatians 5.23. Well, what does self-control mean in the Greek? It means this, to have dominion within myself. That means when my passionate heart wants to live outside of the parameter and I want to have sex outside of God's parameters, self-control says No. Holy Spirit, we're going to exercise dominion over that desire. Amen? And some of you are doing that. And some of you aren't. And the problem with not doing it is you're ignoring the instruction of God. Not of man. Right? And things are, listen, the Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you'll reap life. But if you walk to the flesh, you'll reap death. Marriages, relationships, relationships. Your self worth, your self esteem, all of that stuff is tied to that, right? And again, if you're not a believer, you're going to walk out there going, "Man, I ain't ever going back there." Well, I guarantee you, you will, because we're going to pray God's Holy Spirit drags you right back in here, right? Because you may not need this, but you need Jesus, right? Then the Holy Spirit is God's present gift to us. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says this: "Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self control." That person's about to be overrun by their desires, right? He goes on to say this in Titus two for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many people, how many of you are grateful that God's grace that brought salvation appeared to you? Say amen. Amen. Yeah. Listen to what that grace should do. The grace teaches us to say what? It's God's goodness that teaches us no. It's God's grace that teaches us no. You'll never know how to say no until you know how good God's been to you. You and I unfortunately live in a world where the past generation of church taught everything about God was based on discipline and punishment and fear. It is the grace of God that appeared to save us. Amen, church? And it is that goodness that gives us eternity in heaven that teaches us to say no to what? Ungodliness and worldly lust and to live what? Self-controlled. Listen, you're never going to succeed in self-control till you learn how good God's grace is. Because it's the only thing that's going to teach you how to live that way. Listen, there is too much sexual immorality In the church of Jesus Christ. It's too much. And the reason there's too much. Is wide and varied. The problem with it being so wide. And varied in the church. Is it doesn't take very long. For that teaching. To begin to be changed. To accommodate what we want. Tim McGraw said years ago. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. That is the siren call. Of your evil desires. We say it this way in 2023, my body, my choice. Nope. Now, when it comes to our passions, there's a parameter. It's called marriage. And there's a gift of God's spirit that gives us self-control. We need both of them to succeed. So what do we do? Let me close it with two scriptures. Let's go back to Paul, right? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, planted most of the churches that you and I could find our heritage from, right? All of that's present, right? And here's what Paul said about the struggle between good and evil and the war that wages within him. He said, what a wretched man I am. Who is going to rescue me from this body of sin and death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, if, if, Listen, all of this begins and ends with an acknowledgement that you're not just broken because of your untamed sexual desires and lust and passion. You're broken because you're a sinner. And you need to be made right before God. And God in his infinite goodness sent his son to pay that debt once and for all. And it is in that freedom that we get to live every day of our lives. And so if you need Jesus, man, we're going to have people up front. That would be more than glad to have that conversation with you. If if you need a more private or in-depth conversation. Go out these doors and to your right. There's a room down there called Guidance Point. We have pastors and people in there that would love to speak to you. In a more private setting. If you're online. There's a button that says I have decided. If you click on that. It'll take you to a form you can fill out. And Pastor Pastor John and his team will be with you. But how many of you in here and how many of you online already know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Say amen. amen. So what's your next step? Here's what Peter says. Peter says his divine power. That's the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Guess what he did. He gave us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Listen. If you're struggling with how to live to be a Christian. It's not a lack of resources. God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Somebody say amen. He says here's how you make it work. He says. Through these. These promises. He's given us, right, these great and precious promises so that through those promises, you and I may participate in what? God's divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil lust. Lust. How do we get out of this place? We trust in the promises of God he gave us through Jesus. And look what he says to those of us that believe. He says, for this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith. If you got faith in Jesus, say amen. Here's what you should add to your faith. Add to your faith what, church? Come on, say it. Goodness. Stop telling me what you're against and start showing me what you're for. Be good. Be good. The world doesn't need more critics. The world needs more people who know how to do good. Somebody say amen. And he says to your goodness, then you should add what? Stop sitting at home and watching The Bachelor. And feeling bad about your dating patterns, those people are going out on a network budget, okay? And start being in a group so that you can learn to add knowledge to your goodness, right? Come on Wednesday nights. I preach a lot longer and I'm a lot more awkward, okay? Right? He says, add to your goodness knowledge and guess what happens when you get more knowledge? You add to your knowledge what? Self control. And we need it because of the fights within. Listen, I, I, I want all of us to understand that God's word is designed to be profitable, right? For reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness so that all of us can be thoroughly equipped to do what God wants us to do. Which means at times we got to have very public conversations about very personal things. Because what's at stake matters. Amen, church? So, Father, today I am so grateful I'm grateful for your Holy Spirit that gives me access to your divine power, allows me to be connected to your divine nature, and allows me to escape the corruption in this place. And Father, I pray for every believer in this space, every believer online, that they would learn to surrender their passion within the framework and the parameters of marriage. And for those that that do not have that parameter, Lord, it is my prayer that they would live self-controlled and upright lives in this world because of your grace and goodness we pay in Jesus' name. Amen.